It's my privilege uh, working in the diocese to work with people who are preparing for ordination and to be catechists and things. And when I talk about scripture, the thing I always say is, remember, the scriptures are always good news. They're always good news. We never can lose sight of that. Well, our first reading this evening about the fall seems to be something of a challenge to that assertion. Let's look at this. Adam and Eve respond to God's incredible generosity with shameless ingratitude and baseless suspicion. What do I mean by ingratitude? The entire world is put at their disposal and they're, given, and they're placed in rule over the entire world and that's not good enough so long as there's a fruit of a single tree that is beyond their limits. What about baseless suspicion? I love this. They're not persuaded that God has their best interest at heart. Remember, what do they finally listen to? God had told them, don't eat of the tree because you'll die if you eat of it. Instead, Satan says, oh, you won't die. God knows you'll be just like him. God is holding out on you. Well, again, ingratitude and suspicion. And their choices brought suffering and death into the world. And Paul tells us in Romans, it placed all creation in bondage to corruption. Now, how in the world can that all be good news? Well, it is. So how? The story of the fall tells us in a way nothing else could about how truly, amazingly good God really is. Now, it's true the fall had terrible consequences. Besides suffering and death, it's frustrated the purpose of work. You see, sometimes people erroneously say it's, the work is a curse. Quite the opposite. When we read Scripture, it says that we were created to work in the garden, to tend the garden. Work isn't a curse. It's when work ceased to be what it was meant to be. You know, work, you know, basically actualizing and a beautiful thing. When it became a frustrate, when it was frustrated in its purpose of giving dignity. That was what happened. And also, besides that, we have a basic element of discord had entered into the male-female relationship. That seed of discord had somehow entered. But with the fall also came something amazing. At that very moment came the promise of restoration. Now, it's true, the enemy would continue to harass the human race. You know, God says to Satan, you will bruise his heel, speaking of the children of Eve. You will bruise his heel. But we're also told that a human being would ultimately win in a definitive victory. He shall bruise your head. We actually call this the first gospel. The first gospel. You know, he's going to continue bruising your heel, but ultimately, you're going to crush his head. You will win. And more, that, more than that, who is this human being? Who is this son of Adam and Eve who is going to do this? And that human being would be no one other than God himself in the person of his incarnate son, Jesus Christ. So think about this. What happens with the fall? What does God do? This shows what God is like. What does God do when he's confronted with shameless ingratitude? He gives more. That's amazing. Think of it. When he receives nothing but ingratitude, what's God's response? 
Well, I guess it calls for more giving. Now, the story doesn't end there, though. You know, we know the creation is beautiful, but let's be honest about it. You know, in business, we talk about something not being any skin off somebody's nose. Uh, you say, well, God created the world, but there was no real cost to God. You know, when we give something, we'd have to trade this for that. He didn't have to trade anything. He created the world from nothing. He's all-powerful. He's almighty. He has all the time in the world. He didn't have to give anything up at all for creation. Okay? But our restoration carried the highest possible cost anyone could imagine. Think about this. It was at the price of an only child. Now, all of us who are parents, although I don't claim to be a, a physically brave person. <laughs> that is not my inclination. And so I've got to tell you that, you know, I would, I would run from danger, but when it comes to my children, I would do anything rather than see something happen to them. And that's not from being brave, it's just visceral. Parents, I appeal to all you who are parents, you know what I'm talking about. I would do anything for my children. So a parent would prefer, prefers their child's life to their own life. This tells you something. You know, later on this, this evening, we'll talk about the story of Abraham. Abraham had two amazing, amazing demonstrations of faith before he was called to sacrifice his son Isaac. Remember, first of all, I really sympathize with being an old guy. He was asked in his old age to leave everything. Everything. His friends, everything he had built up over a lifetime. Leave this behind for an indefinite future. You know, come to a land I will show you. We'll talk, sort of jump in the car, we'll talk about it on the way. You tend to be more conservative as you get older. You, have, you are less free to take chances. That was a big deal with Abraham. That was faith. We're talking about in the book of Hebrews said, this is faith, but something greater. He was asked to believe in something impossible. He and Sarah for their whole life had desperately been trying to have a child. And if you've been through that experience, you know that it gets to be a point, it hurts so bad, you, you don't want to face the pain of trying and failing. It hurts that bad. And so God says, I'm going to give you a child. And they were way past childbearing age. They were way too old. We're at the time you're scared to believe again. But Abraham believed, and it says in the scriptures, it was reckoned to him as righteousness. God was impressed. It was reckoned to him as righteousness. But still, he wasn't quite there. This incredible man of faith, one thing was lacking. He one day is asked, take that son, the son you love, your only son, the one you love, and sacrifice him. Abraham prepares to do this, so God, God calls out, no, no, stop. I, uh, he says, now I can see. He says, don't lay your hand on the boy. Don't do anything to him. But listen to the next words. For now I know that you fear God. You see, a child puts in a whole different category. Leaving everything behind, taking risks in your old age, that's one thing. Right? Hoping with all the pain that could come, that's another thing. But your child, that's in a whole different count. Now I know. There's no higher test. Now I know. Well, think about God. God gave up more than Abraham. You see, an angel would save Isaac. There would be no angel at the cross to save God's son. God's son will fall into the pit. This gift is so unimaginable 
that when the, the Apostle John, the theologian, has to describe what's the good news, the famous verse, John 3.16. How do you describe in one sentence how incredible God is? God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It just doesn't get better. It's the highest that could happen. The Apostle Paul takes up the same theme. He says, how could he who didn't spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? If somebody gives you their son, there is nothing. Their only child, there is nothing they're going to hold back. So, to begin the service, you know, hours ago, at, the, at our, our, our meeting of the service, we began with the, the service of light. And you'll recall Deacon Steve sang an ancient hymn called the Exultet. You rejoice, O heavens. You know, we're talking about the night of the resurrection. But there's a beautiful line. The Latin is very famous. Felix culpa. And if some of you aren't old enough for us, like us to be native speakers, right? <laughs> uh, what does that mean? It means, O happy faults. Listen to that. O happy faults. You're speaking of the sin in the garden. O happy fault. Why? because that brought so blessed a Redeemer, saying we never would have known. If we, everything had gone, God had created the world, and man was in the garden, and everything of obedience, etc., we'd know that God was great. We would never have a clue he loved us that much. Now, thanks to our sin, we know, wow, whoever would have guessed that, that he would do that for us. Um, if we had not had the fall, we never would have known. Oh, blessed fault that brought so great a redeemer. Now, perhaps some of us here, too, have trouble believing that God truly loves us. You know, that, that temptation in the garden really probably rings true to a lot of us. You know, I know, I know God's supposed to be good, and I know I believe that, but sometimes I feel maybe he's holding out on me, or maybe, you know, maybe I'm making a mistake. And so we... We, we think maybe we feel that way because we're too conscious of our own sins and weaknesses. And in case we would otherwise fail to notice them, we have someone, you know, the word Satan is a real word in Hebrew. Shatan in Hebrew means an accuser in the sense of a prosecuting attorney. He's, his whole job is to find bad explanations for everything. That's what he does. He finds a bad explanation for everything. And he's there to speak to our deepest fears, isn't he? He's always there to say, I know the truth about you. If people could see what I saw. <laughs> and it's easy enough to believe. And so we're so conscious of our weakness that in our sins and things we think, yeah, God loves, but I'm really sort of beyond that. He loves regular people, but I'm sort of different. I made it too many sins. I've done this too, too long. But we have to remember, God, how does my God meet ingratitude? How does he meet our ingratitude? With a bigger gift. That's who God is. Our sin is no match for God's self-giving love. Now, perhaps we, you know, a few weeks ago, we had that wonderful story of the prodigal son in Luke's gospel. And I bet a lot of us say, wow, I would love to have that experience. I'd love to see God with his arms open wide to me saying, come home. You know, I know we talk, he'll work. Boy, would I love to see that with my eyes. Remember that son and talk about an ingrate. Uh, imagine a dad where he says, you know, dad, I don't, I'm tired of waiting for you to die. <laughs> Just give me the money. 
He made a fool of his father to the whole village. This is, in the ancient world, a small town. I'm sure this is all anybody talked with for years. This is the guy whose son, we were talking about his youngest son. This was, this guy was, uh, talk about an ungrateful son. And what happens when he comes home? God's arms open wide. Say, wouldn't it be wonderful if I could see God's arms open wide for me? Could I, if I could see that. Well, we do. You see, one of our great church fathers, Irenaeus, famously said, you know, the Holy Spirit and Christ are the hands of God. They're the hands of the Father. So basically, when we see Jesus, we see God's open arms. We can't see God. As John says, no man has seen God. You know, but we can see Jesus, the perfect image of the Father. We see God's arms. When we see Jesus, we see God's arms opened up to us. And we especially see that every time we celebrate the liturgy. One of my favorite moments there is we lift up the bread and wine saying, the gifts of God for the people of God. Saying, here I am. And what do we say? Come, let us, let us keep the feast. Remember the prodigal son, he says, oh, I don't want to hear the apology. Maybe he rehearsed a nice little speech of apology. Oh, Father, I've sinned against heaven, against you. <laughs> he had this little speech. The Father didn't want to hear it. He said, oh, it's so good to have you home. Let's come on in. Let's go celebrate. Come, so we say, the gifts of God for the people of God. And what's our response? Let us keep the feast. So to answer our beginning question, how can we find good news in the story of the fall? Well, the fall lets us see God's complete self-giving love. And remember something else I neglected to, to, to say that's important. God knows all things. God, there is no past or present. God is all time. So God knew when he created the world that the cost of redeeming it would be his son. This wasn't an emergency fix. He knew from the very beginning that that would be the cost, and yet he still created the world. So the fall lets us see God's complete self-giving love in a way we'd never otherwise have seen possible. So we proclaim, that's why in that hymn, we proclaim every year how blessed a fault that brought so glorious a redeemer. Amen.